All right, welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Podcast. I am Elisha Tichelle, and I am excited to be here today with a very dear friend and also one of the muses of this work. So when I began to get some information, get some downloads, get some decipherings, really working in the understanding of system types, which is different than just looking at our nervous system response or our stress response. It's really looking at how our system wants to be organized towards accessing its greatest capacity. And as I began to work with the terms that I have kind of put together called wildly radiant or wild radiance, I began to sort of play with how is our system organized. And my system is very much organized towards wildness as its forefront. And this woman who I have invited to speak to us today is very much oriented towards her radiance in in the forefront. And we have a lot of the same credentials. We'll had a lot of similarities in our career. She's been quite, um, she's been my co-director of the dance companies, both the pre-professional and professional. We have trained together in somatics. She has taught with me at the university. We have a lot of similarities in our careers. And obviously we're very different people personally and in our personality, but I really began to recognize that there was even something deeper that was different in the way that our systems were organized. And as she began to be willing to dive into this nervous system work and practice and learn and grow, uh, she gave me the opportunity to really understand a lot about the difference of system types. And she's been sort of the the forefront um, guinea pig <laughs> in a lot of this work. So I'm welcoming Megan Moore on today. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> Thank you. So excited to be here. Thank you. So, you know, as I said, like we have a lot of similarities in our career, a lot of credentials, professional qualifications that are the same. And a lot of our spiritual journey has been centered around the same similar topics, different explorations, trainings, all those things. Um, And I think that, you know, for a long time, a lot of the differences in how we led or created or things like that, or even our um, timelines for things like that, we both sort of attributed to things that we might call ambition or Um, even just personality likes and dislikes. And as some of those things shifted or fell away, it really became clear that there was something else going on in your system. If you could just tell us a little bit about who you, I don't, I don't want to sort of give, give the words away, but just, just tell us a little bit about how you experienced yourself in the world as a creator, as an artist, as a leader, as a teacher, um, And what began to shift as you began to understand nervous system work, or maybe even when you began, when we began to play with this idea that you were a parasympathetic dominant system? Yeah, I think there's a way that, you know, not understanding prior to understanding that I was a parasympathetic dominant system, you know, the models of leadership that were given are so sympathetic driven. And having been someone who was identified as a leader from a very early age, I had a lot of those qualities that I could perform well. 
I could function. I could execute. I was really organized, um, very eloquent, could do task-based work, could organize people and systems and structures. And, and there was a way though that in that need or push to fit into a sympathetic world, my inner life was disconnected from my outer life and who I mm. needed to be to be successful career-wise didn't actually feel like the truth of who I was. And so mm. there was always this little bit of rub, I think, going on inside where I recognized what I could do to be to be successful, to belong, to you know, achieve in the world, but it wasn't fulfilling me. And there was this under underlying current. And now knowing what I do, having studied with you and understanding rhythm in a different way, I think I felt rushed my entire life. Like right. I was racing towards some grandiose finish line of, <laughs> you know, getting the, getting all the ducks in a row of my life. And yeah, I was, I was missing me. I was missing yeah. my essence. I was missing connection to that, to, my, to the deeper leadership that I didn't even recognize was there all along. Mm, that's so good. I love that you bring up rhythm in that. And I know that has been one of the kind of key flashing lights. Um, that that has led me to understanding some of this because yes, we would be, again, there's a way that if we don't know what we're looking for, we just call these things personality. We just call them likes and dislikes, right? But you and I would be working on something and I would clear the track three times and you were still considering where the best place to start was. And you know, we used to, we've had tons of jokes about it and all the things. I've definitely been one of the people in your life that's like, hurry up, um, let's get to it. Um, you know, especially not recognizing, you know, when I was really more unclear and recognizing how systems need to find certain rhythms and also what happened when that system's been disconnected from their innate rhythms, right? And so, for you with this place, so we, what we can say about a parasympathetic who's been operating as a sympathetic in distortion, right? Who's been trying to lurch themselves or hurl themselves or are, I, do you remember what you used to say about your process? Do you remember? So you used to tell me, I used to say like, well, how are you going to make this decision? And you're like, and I'm just going to hurl myself off a cliff. Oh, I do remember that. <laughs> And I was like, if they're not another way, you're like, I, I do not know another way. I'm just going to have to like hurl. And, yep. and I think that that is a lot of what it is when you're off rhythm with yourself, right? When you are, when sort of everyone else is sort of yelling like run faster and you're like, I do not know how, like, how am I supposed to run faster? Like my feet don't move like that. Um, and but because so many people are yelling, run faster, like, what does that do to you? Like, what is, what, what happened inside of that? Yeah. Well, it, well, again, because you're so innately off rhythm in that way, that, that push that run faster, well, firstly, it creates a lot of shame, right. And, and it feeds mm. those stories of how I'm doing it is wrong or how I'm doing it is, is not wanted or accepted or right or worthy. But I think yeah. also what it does is I recognize how much that, that, creates a lurch and it creates a real stop and start pattern. And I can look at all the places right. where um, someone would describe me as inconsistent or flighty or like 
all of a sudden she's doing this training and now she's not, or she's offering this thing and now she's not, or this month she's sending a newsletter and now she's not, or, you know, all the yeah. different ways that that showed up and played out of an inability to create a consistent flow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what I would say is like, I think a sympathetic system has inconsistencies when they're in a freeze pattern as well. But what I would say might be the distinguishing place is that for a parasympathetic, it looks like start the thing, stop the thing. And for a sympathetic, it looks like we start the thing and the thing keeps going. We, however, emotionally vacate it or we focus vacate it or, you know, so it's like things are still might be happening in our world as a sympathetic system. Like the trains can keep chugging along somehow. And we might be shifting things internally, like that might be more of where our inconsistency happens. But with the parasympathetic system, or sometimes what we might call a hybrid system, it really looks like stop and start. And it looks like, I mean, so can I say that maybe you've had some things projected on you, or even I know you've said things about yourself, like I'm indecisive. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I have commitment issues. (laughs) <laughs> yes, so decision fatigue, that, all of it. Decision <laughs> fatigue. I don't know. And, and I think even um, I think one time we sat down to do like a visioning or you know, like goal dream kind of thing, and you were like, I have no dreams. Like I just don't even know what that means. Like I don't know what I want. Um, and I think that's those are really common things I hear from parasympathetic systems that have been forced to operate sympathetically, that have been forced to operate wildly. Right. And, and, and again, one of the reasons I use the words wild radiance is that they're the, they're the invitations towards the full capacity of what our systems want to be. Right. But that for most of us, because we've got freeze going on, because we've been co-opted, there is a distortion of these capacities. There's a distortion of our rhythms. So for me as a sympathetic first system or sympathetic dominant system, when I'm co-opted, my foot stays on the gas and I'm going a thousand miles an hour at once. And I'm doing all of the things and I'm completely disconnected from how I feel about it. Right. But it can look really good from the outside. It can look really amazing. And I do have very high capacity. So again, from the outside, you might not know whether I'm in a distortion or not, because I'm always going to be creating a lot. I'm always going to be talking a lot. I'm always going to be, you know, doing this stuff. And it's the next worksheet and all these things because my system loves to create. And it's actually how I find myself. Right. I, I think the parasympathetics, if you really had your way, like how would you be operating in time? If like you could really just not have to be attached to the world's sort of idea of time frame, like what would a parasympathetic system really be doing with their time? Oh, we would be luxuriating in nature and having yeah. beautiful yeah. tea ceremonies and constantly on retreat or playing with animals or, <laughs> uh, you know, weaving beautiful baskets or, or all, all of the, you know, uh, just looking at those gorgeous roses behind you, arranging flowers and just cooking yeah. glorious meals and, and savoring long conversations over beautiful wine. And, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things that are just really about taking that spaciousness and creating mm-hmm. an experience and creating a feeling yeah. and creating an environment in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what was going on? So when you were 
trying to do your life, do your career, do your stuff, do your service. I know you have like a deep heart for service and a deep desire to serve in the world. And that's one of the reasons that you've got all the modalities and all the trainings and all the things that you've done. But what was going on with that? What was happening? Tell me where you were just before we picked up really when this work really began to take its feet and you dove into it. Like what was going on before that? Take us back there. Yeah. You know, I think I had, I had had my first taste of those modalities that I really liked that felt, that felt good for a little while. Mm. And exactly what you just named about that inconsistency, because I recognized that the way I was hearing everyone else do it, or, you know, what I was seeing on social media and what was being put out there, I didn't see or feel myself in any of those spaces. And there was a way Mm. that with that slowness, with that indirectness, with more of that spaciousness that I was finding, I couldn't figure out how to fit into what I was seeing in the world. And, you know, I was having all these teachers and all these mentors just keep telling me like, make a business, put an offer out there, do some stuff like you just need to begin. And, and again, that energy of being pushed or shoved. And I, I wasn't at that point able to recognize how to regulate, how to sit into my center, how to really listen to what wanted to be created, what wanted to be birthed through me in my way. And so, Mm. you know, I did a lot of hiding. I did a lot of stop and starting. I did a lot of um, ruminating and overanalyzing (laughs) and, um, and really ultimately finally then from that shove that, that looked like a lot of like putting stuff out into the world with the energy of apology, with the energy Mm. of unworthiness in a way that I know I did a lot of free sessions and I did a (laughs) lot of really like low paid offers. And I did a lot of, oh, it's okay. Um, We'll just, we'll just do a trade, lots and lots of trading, right? All of these ways that it was like, I was in that push pull energy of knowing how much and how big my heart was and how much I wanted to serve and not finding an interface where I could offer that service or a way that the, that, that it felt like I belonged in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, that's really going to be true for a parasympathetic set that what that word that you used is so important, the interface, right? Because where the parasympathetic system wants to be is in this vertical, is out of the vertical axis, in the horizontal axis. So in this kind of spreading and opening, right? And so in that, if the, if the parasympathetic doesn't have the right anchoring to understand what do I need in the vertical? What do I, what do I need in my wildness, my creative self? How do I work with that? And then how do I bring that, that sagittal self in? How do I bring that? How do I come into it? Right. And what tends to happen with the parasympathetic is that as you go to interface, we go into the, what the fawning, right. And so that apology, that inability to receive abundance, that um, lack of boundaries in our business that need to hide behind the modality, right? Some of those things. So tell us how you've hid behind your modalities. Oh, oh my goodness. So much so, right? That, that you know, kind of like the modality cycle or the modality train, like when one didn't seem like it was doing the thing, I better just collect some more. And also like not trusting myself to show up with another person if we weren't following some type of a set script, right? Like I need right. the 10 steps that I'm going to walk through with this person. Cause like, what if something happens and I don't know what to do? Or what if they feel unsafe? Or what if I feel unsafe? And then uh, am I going to re-traumatize them? Or, or what's, what's going to happen in this instance? And, you know, from, from a system as well that like, 
find safety in the known, a modality mm-hmm. felt like a known thing, right? If I could just do, if right. I could just follow these steps, then maybe I'll help someone. Then maybe I'll be, I'll be of service in this way. And did you, ex- did you experience that inside of bleeding modalities? You know, to a certain extent, yeah, there, there was, I would say small shifts, but it, it was like mm. the work felt like it could never have the depth of transformation that I knew was possible. So maybe Mm -hmm. it would feel, it would feel good in a moment or a lot of what had happened, you know, when I was working through a specific modality was a person would even have a great experience, you know, one-on-one with me in the room or, or here on zoom. And then, you know, I hear from them a week later and it was back to the same old, same old pattern. I'm hearing the same old thing about, you know, this thing that's wrong and this thing that's not working in their life. And it was like, everything we worked on just had gone in one ear and out the other. So I knew there was something that wasn't landing, something that was not translating about and staying in, in that modality in that way. Yeah. And so in, in that, when you would kind of get that feedback back from clients, what did that do to your system? Like, where did you, what was your habitual response around that? Yeah. I mean, obviously all the shame, you know, if I, I didn't the do shame. it right, I must not mm. have followed through properly. I, you know, what did I not say the right thing or do the right thing or Again, maybe I just, maybe that wasn't the right modality for that person. We should try a different approach, right. you know, all, all of the justifying and defending and just the, you know, I'm sure I was contributing to the chaos in, in those ways as right. well um, of just not being able to land in the, in, in the deeper need there. Well, and one of the things I see around modality training that I think no matter what type of system you have, that is really where the lack of like, transformation lies is that we don't know how to translate the, the, the modality into time and space, right? So we don't actually know how to find the rhythm of the modality. And what we get good at is the regurgitation of a step, right? And it's like, again, what, when we're working in evolution to train people into working through the nervous system, it's not about changing the steps of your modality if that's how you're going to work but it's knowing how to find that system in front of you. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that you are so out of touch with rhythm, you know, leading that in time and space that you just had to hope it was going to work. And then when it didn't, it brought up shame. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that pressure and that drive, you know, I see this, especially so much in the coaching world right now, of like, the need to have results and the need to have these provable things and that it has to happen in some six week time frame, And, you know, all these things that, especially to a parasympathetic system, that's so not yeah. how our innate leadership gifts work. Yeah. And so yeah. thinking like, well, if I can't do that, then can I even offer any work or can I even yeah. be worthy to, ch- to charge for this or to create a program or any of those other things that yeah. we might innately want to do? When it feels yeah. like that's not actually how my system's designed to support someone. Yeah. Well, I remember, you probably don't remember that. Um, and, and this was when, this is you sort of in the receivership side. When I was exploring how I was going to be working, um, you know, and the packages and all of that. And of course, like the modalities we get taught, it's like, you don't, you know, don't, don't, they're not going to sign up for more than 12 weeks and you don't want to more, you can't demonstrate results in 12 weeks. You know, what are you even doing? You know, are you even pushing them? Hard enough? Like what the, you know, so, you know, I'm exploring how I'm going to be doing things. And I think, you, I don't know if you remember this, but you said something like, um, well, what if I'm not done in 12 weeks? Do I get to keep going on? 
<laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> like, like, you know, like that, that part of you, like, even though like you weren't quite in your rhythm and you were still pretty disconnected, there was a part of you that was just like in the complete disbelief that your sister was going to do something in 12 weeks. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously we have to create structures with our work and we have to create structures that work for us to guide people through a beginning, middle and end, of course. And if there's something wrong with working in 12 week chunks, but I just think that again, that maybe that what you're talking about is that pressure that we're putting on ourselves, yeah. that we are going to know where that system's going to be in 12 weeks when we haven't even uncovered. So, okay. We've got fight, flight, and freeze as our biological stress responses. As you've experienced yourself as a parasympathetic dominant system, where do you tend to hang out and what has that meant for your personal life, your professional life, whatever you want to share about that? Yeah, I would say freeze for sure. My, my dominant first, first pattern of those biological responses with probably a sprinkling of flight mixed in fight has not (laughs) been something that has been safe to access most of my life. So I will say what that freeze has also looked like has been either in a perpetual waiting pattern of indecision and hesitation and putting things off constantly till, you know, the right resourcing or the right timing or the right support or the right season of life or the right external conditions or, you know, all, all of mm. that as well. And then the, the lurching, you know, which we named earlier of yeah. like the only way to get into any kind of action is to, to push, which usually again, has not come from a centered place has not come from a place of deep regulation. And so therefore the compensatory pattern is just to flee. Right. And, and again, which mm. looks like the stop and start and the flightiness and the inability to follow through or to stay consistent or to keep momentum going when starting a new project or a new service or off. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That freeze and being, you know, I think again, when we think about just the immediacy of the, the stress response of freeze, we, we just think of being stuck solid, not moving. And of course our body can go there in a moment of, of freeze but what we're really looking at when we're talking about an ongoing pattern, right, is that it's inhibiting, it's blocking something, right? It's keep, it's, it's limiting access, it's, it's keeping things small, and it, it's lowering our, our ability to be in our life force. And a lot of us are living in functional freeze. It doesn't look like we're not doing things. It just looks like we're not doing the things that really matter to us, or we're not doing those things that matter to us to our fullest ability, fully awake and aware. So what would you say is, is as you, so you were one of the first systems that I began to type and explore and, and play with. And, you know, obviously there's a beautiful contrast in our systems. I'm very, you know, in the wild side and um, I'll, most of my uh, <laughs> distortions all come from hyper freeze and do all the things and do them fast and get them done and, and go, 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 go. And all of those things in your system is, is has some of those distortions because you've had to take them on as part of the conditioning survival, but there's been this different desire from your system, this, these different needs, these different wants, these different tempos, but what, what's really shifted for you and maybe getting um, a big fat permission slip from yourself to be like, wait, if I am parasympathetic, it means what I don't have to, and I get to like, what's changed for you in that? 
I think everything has changed, you know, with that permission slip, especially like in, in, in many ways, it feels like the most giant, like coming out of the, the spiritual closet in so many ways of just like the permission to put myself out there in a way that feels more authentically me. And that it doesn't have mm. to look like what maybe my, um, my, my connotations that a successful sympathetic system would look like in a service outlet or in an offering yeah. or in this, this space in that way. And that there's, and with that comes the innate confidence that a parasympathetic system while might not be offering the same type of service as a sympathetic system, it is equally as worthy and it can provide mm -hmm. transformation and it holds people in a different way that actually is really needed in the world. And so I think, you yeah. know, that permission allowed me to just give myself a little bit more grace and more space to say like, it's okay to figure this out as I go. And it's okay to try things. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not know all the ultimate outcomes of where this might go but to trust right. the space of the parasympathetic system and, and to trust that horizon view. And, you know, so much of what we've done in our one-on-one -on -one work too is, you know, you being able to help me recognize the innate desires and those feeling states that I wanted to offer to someone. And that that can mm -hmm. be an anchor, not necessarily the 3D details that I can get caught up in so easily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I think what you're bringing forward about that space piece is really important because most of the parasympathetic systems that at least we know or, and, and, and have worked with, there's a fear of sensation. There is a numbness in the body. Um, and that's another way of us saying like, you're not inhabiting the body. You're not taking the space of yourself, right? But the system is actually so large. It's so, it has such vastness, right? Like that vista view. It's like, I'm a whole panoramic, right? And like, that can feel a little scary to experience of yourself, right? Especially when what might be modeled to you is this sort of really organized, what might feel more linear, even though I would say a, a, as a sympathetic in myself, like I do not experience myself linear at all, but I would imagine I am experienced more linearly. I'm, you know, um, and even though I have a large, a vast capacity, it's, you don't necessarily get lost in my system. You're not kind of like rolling through, you know, magical heels or, you know, uh, it's just like, it's not, it's not a roaming countryside. You're like, oh, there's like a garden here. Like we're in the, you gotta fill the edges of my system. Um, and I think a lot with a parasympathetic system, you're like, wait, how big is this? like one of the things parasympathetics always say to me is like, I can't, I, I can't have this breakdown or I can't let go here because I don't know how far down I'll go. I don't know how far down I'll go. Like, because like the system's so big, it can feel like I'm just going to get lost inside of myself. Like if I, if I let go and fall into myself, will I ever stop falling? Yeah. You know what? Will, will I ever open? And so I remember as we began to explore and you began to open to sort of like, is it safe to be here in me, as me, inhabiting me, feeling me, sensing me, um, all of those things, like really letting go into the floating into yourself um, is really when you decided that you would do some deeper regulation work, right? And so what was that process of beginning to choose an induction practice, a down-regulating practice? beginning to practice introception, like what was it that kind of would finally you were like, I'm going to do this. 
And what was the journey that you put yourself on that really began to shift your ability to not just cognitively know, oh, I'm parasympathetic and that means I don't have to move as fast as other systems or I don't have to push myself to, you know, prolifically create into the 3D. I'm creating in lots of other ways and I may be working more energetically, all of those kind of things. Like, but what was it that translated into the visceral coming home into the body? Yeah, I think, you know, once I had those first few tastes of that expanse of feeling the parasympathetic system and recognizing when you get into that cosmically expanded place too, it's you're dancing right on the edge of, edge of what, for what many of us can feel like an existential crisis, right? And I knew that if I ever wanted to be able to translate the vastness of that system into action, into service into, you know, momentum in the world, I had to be able to, to be with it in my body. It could no longer be yeah. a bypass to, to, you know, to play in the cosmic soup of the love and life that just took me to an, a dissociated place where nothing was yeah. actually shifting in my lived experience or helping me to support others in their lived experience. So I think, yeah. you know, in, in observing the healing that you had gone through yourself and, you know, the ways that you were beginning to teach this induction work and, and really sharing like the power of what it would be to inhabit my body. I think you actually had right. put in out a, a 30 day challenge in what you were leading at the time. And you had this one induction meditation. And of course it was like less than 15 minutes. So it was a really low risk at, at, in my opinion at that time. And I, <laughs> And I took the challenge to do it for 30 days. And, you know, I gave myself all the permissions of like, I'll do it first thing when I wake up in the morning, I won't even have to get out of bed. I'll just like, I'll push it and I'll be able to do it. And, and, you know, I, I, I did go into it with rather skeptically, you know, because I would have much preferred to be in some, you know, guided visualization of the clouds and the light and, you know, all those other things. Yeah. And I didn't want to actually have to feel my body, but you know, your teachings keep coming back to me of recognizing that the only way out is through and that requires us to come down and in. So I committed right. to that 30 day period and really let myself go all the way through it. And I was shocked by how much capacity I developed even in 30 days to stay with sensation and to not dissociate and to not flee and to not have to clamp it down and, and, you know, fear that I was never going to find myself again. And, and it, mm -hmm. and it became a good addiction in the way of like, I actually get to feel what it feels like to be the vastness of my system in my body. And I ended up going for 90 days where that was just my bread and butter every morning, you know, was that induction practice. Yeah. And I think that's finally what allowed me to start getting deeper into what I now understand is, is my interoception and my ability to yeah. sense my nervous system, which as I began to feel safe in that sending it is what really allowed me to start welcoming more voltage more activation, mm. more life force into my body. Because I think for a long yeah. time, I lived on the edge of that depressed, depleted, dampened place where it was just, it was exhausting to be in life sometimes. And I didn't realize mm. how low my life force energy actually was because I wasn't able yeah. to hold charge. I wasn't able to hold voltage in my body. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So if someone were experiencing freeze possibly a parasympathetic system, maybe someone who's just afraid of doing harm, but has a hard service. Like, what would you say to them where they are right now from where you are right now? <sighs> well, firstly, go look up this regulation practice um, and get started because I think the confidence that comes when, when you're able to start sustaining your own levels of regulation in your body 
it really changes the way you're you're able to stay with another person in their dysregulation and not be afraid mm-hmm. that they're going to overtake you or that you're going to be exhausted and to not be afraid that you're going to cause harm because you don't know how to support them because you actually can't be with their chaos. So I would say like the more you can find that centered regulation in yourself, it's actually going to increase your capacity to be with what you might call um, difficult people or to be with people in their dark night or to be with people who are in deeply dysregulated states where you can create the co-regulatory field then because you have firstly learned how to experience it and be safe in your own body. Mm, so good. So good. Yeah. Just wrapping it up, three quick ways your life has changed by choosing to live into the evolution of your nervous system. Whoo, only three. Only three. <laughs> only three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um living as the evolution of my nervous system has connected me to my deep self in a way that before Mm. was only at the conceptual level. So whether someone calls Mm. that soul or spirit or essence, when you come through a healed nervous system, that is no longer just a concept. It's a visceral guidance from within you that translates into your life. I would say living through that evolutionary edge of your nervous system also strengthens your trust that you can meet whatever wave life is going to send you. And then it doesn't have to collapse you into a place that feels sometimes like you're never going to come back from, but you know, that even when, you know, it hits the fan there, there is resiliency and that your nervous system can handle it. And that there is a way through, even if it means, you know, it takes a while or it's going to be painful, but, but you can trust that, that it, it absolutely can, can take you through. Um, And for myself, I would say, I'm no longer afraid to share who I am with the world. Mm. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of what you're going to think of me or what you're going to say to me or of that, you know, we won't go into the depth of the core wound work, but I'm no longer needing to protect myself from that rejection in the same way. I'm willing to take risks and I'm willing to put myself out there and to actually trust that, that my voice matters and that my heart for service matters and that I can interface with the world. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I can't wait to see what you create with this in your time, in your way of using space. Um, So you've just become an ordained reverend. And I know that your heart is in leading embodied spirituality practices, really bringing the nervous system into understanding ourselves as sacred spiritual um, being. So yeah, we'll look to see more of what, how this work develops through you, um, as spiritual practice and anything else you want to say before we wrap it up today? I'll just say that I think, you know, understanding your nervous system type is that, is that missing piece you didn't know you needed, right? Especially because this work is on (laughs) the cutting, literally the cutting revolutionary edge. So, you know, we, we all find those things that we gravitate towards that, that help us know ourselves better. You know, like whether you're into gene keys or human design or Enneagram or all those things, but the nervous system type for me just simplifies it in a way yeah. that is, that is less confusing, that there's less room for bypass. And that actually just helps you to feel good in your skin in a different way Yeah, because yeah. you have an, a depth and a felt sensation 
of, of who you are. So I would say to anyone, you know, considering like, know your type, get to learn your type. And then, you know, it will also yeah. translate to your superpowers, being able to come forward through you and expression into the world. Absolutely. I feel like for me, learning that I was a manager finally gave me the permission to stop listening to all the projected stories that I needed to pick one thing. So I went to grad school. I did multiple tracks, <laughs> degrees at the same time. And, you know, for other people that wasn't right. And they wanted to make sure that I knew that I was doing it wrong because of the way that I was moving. And I think that piece, and when I began to discover this, this, when this information began to really synthesize and develop around the nervous system type, even being in the wildness, like was another step into that full permission to be like, yeah, this is why it's right for me to give in this way. This is why all my classes have workbooks and worksheets. This <laughs> is why, <laughs> this is why I create this way. This is what my system is designed to do. It is, it is why I began performing at three years old with a little record player that I carried around and I wanted to share everything with everyone in that way. Right. So I think it is this way that we finally get that permission slip to welcome our full essence in the way that it wants to express. What I also love about it um, is that it's not, it doesn't describe who you are. It opens you to understanding how you want to access your capacity. So all of your human design still fits in there. All of your other, you know, INJFs and all the other stuff can go, goes with that, right? But it's not about your personality. It's about how your capacity wants to be moving. And, and really what your curriculum, it begins to organize around what's your curriculum with time and space, right? Which is what the third dimension is. So we might as well, you know, let's, let's do some mastery a little bit in time and space so we can like get this experiment experience moving in a better direction, right? Absolutely. So, I, just, I love what you said there about capacity too, because, you know, one last thing I'll add is that it not only teaches you about your superpowers and your gifts and, and your leadership and your capacity, but it teaches you how to support yourself. It helps you to yeah. know what supports your unique system, as well as where are your challenges going to be? Where's going to be your growth edge? Like, I, you know, going through evolution this last year, it was so incredible to watch all of us parasympathetic systems have to meet the call to more sympathetic activation. And how do we create <laughs> enough support yeah. to be able to do that? So it really is just a beautiful way that decides, of course, I'm meant to work together, but understanding Absolutely. your uniqueness just lets you have the foreground background view in a, in a really different way. Yeah. So as we say, you could be wildly radiant or you could be radiantly wild. And it's just about what's in the forefront and what's in the background. And yeah, and it's absolutely about supporting that capacity so that we're living within our resourcing. We're not burning out. We're not overreaching. We're not imposing or dominating other systems. You know, I've loved watching mamas figure this out with their kids and sort of giving that permission. Of course, kids are always going to be a little bit more uh, swinging between their sides and the point that where they're so parasympathetic or they're so, they're so wildly sympathetic in themselves. But yeah, just really beautiful. And I really appreciate you being a guinea pig, you being a muse and you being willing to, um, yeah, help shape and form this work. And we're really excited to yeah, welcome people into evolution this next round and see what your systems are. And 
we actually are doing a special bonus right now. Um, if you step in in August, you're getting an enlightened session where we're going to do your profiling and Megan's going to send you information to fill out and I'm going to sit with it. And then you're going to sit with me and we're going to work on identifying what your core organization is and possibly even start doing some energy and emotional healing around that, where these imprints have been distorted and you have not been in the full permission of yourself, or you've had to move in a rhythm or completely off rhythm. And it's a really beautiful process and getting that as your entry gift into this massive year of transformation just to me is amazing to get to know that about yourself and to be led in the process. So for those of you stepping in in August, we're so excited to be able to do that with you in September so that you are ready to hit the ground running in October with the program. So if you want to take advantage of that, we do have some more spaces for um, discernment calls over the next few weeks. We'd love to have you schedule in and do that. And if you have any questions about sympathetic system or parasympathetic system, you can shoot us an email and uh, we'll tell you more. Uh, it's pretty, pretty revolutionary. There will eventually everyone ask, where's, where's the book I can read about this? And yes, <laughs> we're, I am tip tippy typing away on it. It will, it will get done. So thank you so much, Megan, for being here. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next episode.